0: created them in his image. So God created humans in his image. In the image of God, he created
1: them. Male and female, he created them. And he gave them a job to do. He said, be fruitful and multiply.
0: Fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And then in Genesis 2:15. God gave man and his wife another job. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and to keep it. And unfortunately, although we have as a race tried to subdue the world, we haven't been so good at looking after it. And we can see that from global warming, pollution, exploitation of workers and all the other things that are going wrong because we've been greedy. But in case you hadn't noticed, God gave us these jobs before the first sin. Working is not something that is a result of sin and was not meant to be a burden that we have to bear. The fact that work can become a burden, that it can be far from fulfilling and enjoyable, and that relations between managers and employees are often difficult, is all a result of sin. And we can see the first hint of that in Genesis 3, 17-19. God said to the man, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. Now, obviously for Adam and Eve, it was purely an agricultural, horticultural situation. We're in a different world. We're industrialized. But the difficulties we face in our 21st century workplace, whatever it is, whether it's a workplace, a voluntary area, or a school, are either a direct result of sin and God's judgment on it, like the thorns and the thistles, or indirectly due to sin because of the people involved who are fallen and sinful in in their nature And because they, and let's be honest, we so often seek to put ourselves first and everyone else way, way behind us out of mind. And this me-first attitude results in exploitation, abuse,
1: greed, and discrimination. And that is not what God intended. That one earlier. But Jesus also worked. We think
0: about Jesus' ministry because that's what we read about in the Gospels. But for most of his life, Jesus was a skilled craftsman. He was a carpenter. He would have started learning his trade as a young boy. And then after Joseph had died, he would have been the village carpenter in Nazareth for a number of years. Hence we read in Mark six 3, Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? People recognized him for
1: for his work. Now obviously one of the reasons that we work is to provide for ourselves and our families.
0: But do we consider the money we earn is not ours and ours alone if we follow Jesus? Yes, we need to provide for our dependents. But God should have first call on our resources, including our money, And we should be using them for the good of society, both here and around the world. Jeremiah wrote to the exiles in Babylon in Jeremiah 29.7 that they should seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Society matters, even if it's not your society. And Jesus taught his disciples about giving alms. Charity, in other words. In Matthew 6, 20, uh, 2-4. Whenever you give alms, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so they can be praised by others. Truly I tell you, they've received their reward. But when you give alms, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your alms may be done in secret and your Father who sees in secret
1: will reward you. But note Jesus' assumption there. He didn't say if. He said when. His assumption is that we will give to those in need.
0: And a final reason that we should be working, again, in whichever environment we are, voluntary, paid, or education, it's the world of work, the world of education, the world of the voluntary societies, needs a Christian influence. It needs us to be the salt and light that Jesus told we that we told us that we were in Matthew 5:13 uh, and 14, where He said, "You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden." Note again, this isn't something optional something that we can choose to do or not to do. It's something that we are, that we have to be. But no matter how much salt may be in your salt cellar, it does nothing to flavor your food or prevent rot or even to melt the ice on your drive until you spread it around. And as workers, whether paid or unpaid, if we're going to be that salt, we need to be spread around and having an effect on the environment where we may be the only Christian there so work is something we should be doing even if it isn't paid employment but there are limits on our choice of career and, uh, on what our choice of career and job might be the question we need to ask ourselves when we're considering a job and when we uh, or a move of job and what we should pray about is whether a job we're considering is appropriate does that job enable us to glorify God by what we do? Does it enable us to love our neighbors? Now, I'm going to be honest say, there is no simple answer to that question. There are some things that many would agree on, obviously. For example, the gambling industry is one that I think most, if not all, Christians would agree is not a suitable employment for a Christian. Its emphasis is on luck and chance. It appeals to man's greed and offers a way to get rich quick. All of things which go against dependence on God and God's provision. And So many people are damaged by gambling. Not just the gambler who may become addicted, but the families as well, as money is, that they need to survive is frished away on a game of chance. So that's a, that's a fairly easy one, I suspect. But what about brewing and its retail outlets? Alcohol can easily be abused. It is addictive, it can cause great harm. We know that. But used sensibly, it can also be a source of pleasure. And while many Christians might have reservations about the industry, many also enjoy the products. And then we've got to think about Jesus' example. In the wedding of Cana in John 2, the wine had run out at the early in the wedding party. And Jesus saved the groom from social disaster by turning water into wine. And not in small quantities either. Somewhere between 120 and 180 gallons of the best wine. John 2 6 to 8 and verse 10. And to put that in perspective, I find it hard to visit 180 gallons. That's about 9,100 standard
1: bottles of wine. That was some party. On the other hand, looking at caring professions, medical. C-
0: Care, social care, all clearly fit with roles that show love for our neighbour and are good for society. And to be honest, it's quite noticeable how many Christians have spent at least some time working in fields like that. Um, we, we asked you the question; was asked at a previous church how many people there had worked in the health service or in social care, and over half the people there put their hand up. I mean, just as a quick, thing, whoever ha- if you've worked for, in the NHS for a GP. Uh, social work, support, charity, everyone, like Everyone put your hand up to see how many here. Look around. You see the same, an awful lot of us, work in those sort of environments. Presumably something to do with the fact that God's love is stirring us up to get involved. But Then what about things like the civil service? How about being a taxman? Is that an acceptable job? Hmm. Tax collectors used to have a bad reputation in the New Testament time but that was because they used their jobs to get rich at other people's expense. But our society can only pay for social security, pensions, hospitals, police, and all the other things that we need as that safety net which makes us civilized because our taxes are collected efficiently, accurately, equitably, and only what's, needed, what's, what's required. Ultimately, we each have to make a decision Looking to God for guidance about what we feel is an acceptable or an unacceptable industry to work in. And this decision will almost certainly not be the same for each one of us. It wouldn't, for example, be right for every one of us to say we want to be a politician. Not because there aren't enough jobs for 90 odd politicians, um, but because That the environment of being a politician will put demands on the person in there that not all of us are equipped to meet. And we need to think about that. And it won't necessarily be a one-off choice. what we do. Over the years, organizations and industries change. Things develop. What was right and acceptable once may become something very different. Think about it. If you've been going to work back at the turn of the last century, Working in the tobacco industry was promoted as being something that was good. Tobacco was good for you. Yeah, we know how that turned out. Now who would think that tobacco is a good industry to work in? It's a very different animal. And if our industry has changed, then we may need to take action if we find the situation we are in has become something that doesn't allow us to glorify God, isn't allowing us to love our neighbor, or it's compromising our witness. And it's not just the industry sector that we should consider. We also need to be aware, if we're looking at a potential new role, or even looking at our existing job, what is the environment that we're working in? A job may be available in an industry that seems okay. But what's the company like? What are the people like? Do they expect you to be fast and loose with the facts? To pad your invoices? To exaggerate the benefits of their product? If so, that may well not be the place for you unless God very specifically puts you there to stand up for what is right.
1: And that depends obviously, on you seeking very definitively his guidance for it. Okay, we should be in a particular workplace because God wants us to be there.
0: And if he has put us there, we're there for a purpose. Now, while I was preparing for this, I came across a story of a man, um, actually someone in America, who was asked what he did, and he said, I pack meat to
1: live, but my work is preaching the gospel. Now, at first hearing, that actually sounds like a good approach. But is this really what our attitude to work should be as Christians? Do we
0: think, which, the, which saying that is the right answer it implies, do we think that Jesus spent over 20 years working as a carpenter, frustrated that it wasn't yet time to start his ministry? That his ministry was his real work and the carpentry was just a necessary evil? When Jesus was baptized, before he had done anything in the way of preaching or teaching,
1: God said that he was well pleased with him. Matthew 3.17 Jesus' carpentry was important. It was part of his life that God accepted as good. It was done
0: as if for God. And as we've already seen, work is part of God's original plan for mankind. And it's part of his plan for our future, too. 1 Corinthians 6, 2 and 3. That, Don't you know the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Now, okay, Paul was answering a specific problem in the church. This is this don't you know that we are to judge angels to say nothing of ordinary matters? We're going to have responsibilities in the kingdom of heaven. And in Luke 12, 43 and 44, Jesus indicated that we would have work to do after he returns. He was telling a parable and he said, blessed is the slave whom his master will find at work when he arrives. Truly I tell you, he will put that one in charge of all his possessions. You look at the passage,
1: he was talking to the disciples. When is Jesus going to come back? Well, that's when we get put in charge of things. So how should we behave at work? Well, first of all, we should be good,
0: conscientious workers. Ecclesiastes 9.10 tells us, whatever your hand finds to do, do with your might. And this isn't just an Old Testament exhortation. Barry read the passage in Ephesians, and Colossians 3, 22-24 says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, not only while you're being watched and in order to please them, but wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Whatever your task, put yourselves into it as done for the Lord and not for your masters. Since you know that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you serve the Lord Christ. Okay, we're not slaves, though we do talk about wage slaves. But again, if we're doing voluntary work, let's do it right. We're at school. Let's put our effort into it. If we're in paid work, not just when the boss is watching, but all the time. No, no, they're sort of slacking off and having a 20-minute coffee break every, every five minutes, some people try to do. Whatever we work at, no matter whether it's paid, required, such as schoolwork, or voluntary, we should be doing it as if we were doing it for Jesus.
1: But what does that mean in reality? Well, firstly, we should be the best that
0: we can be at work. We shouldn't be measuring ourselves against the people around us. Instead, we should be giving our best effort and working to the best of our ability. We should be setting a good example, whether it's in timekeeping and punctuality, effort and results, or in honesty and integrity, as it said in the video earlier. This isn't to impress the boss or to advance our chances of a promotion or a rise or getting a good exam grade or anything else, but to please Jesus. And we should be helping those around us who are struggling with their work where we can, whether it's with their work themselves or their personal life that's affecting their work. One thing we don't want to do is to shine to make others look dull, because that isn't showing them love. We should bring people along with us. And working like this is different to the mindset that most non-Christians have. Their first aim is to push themselves forward, to gain a larger financial reward, to get the promotion, to get the position and power in the organization. And often that advancement comes at the cost to others, whether it's through office politics and a little bit of comment on the side, a bit of bat or even downright lies and deceit sometimes. And for us, secondly, as well as being a good colleague, colleague, we should be friendly and approachable. If we're lucky enough to have other Christians in our workplace, yes, we should spend time with them, but that shouldn't be exclusive. No holy huddles in the coffee room. We should mix with others in the workplace, take part in work social activities, at least where they don't give us moral issues. And by doing this, we make non-Christian friends. And as people come to know us, then we might get the opportunity to talk to them about Jesus, even if it's only explaining why we don't do certain things that they consider normal. Or to invite them to something like the Christianity Explored course we ran last year. I have a terrible memory in the back of my mind of when I was at university and we were running a a Christian union mission in the university. And the guy who was leading it took us for our final training session, and he said, right, we've got our plan, we know what we're doing, we've sent out the Gospels to everyone in the college, all you've got to do now is invite your non-Christian friends. And there were so many of us who sort of sat and looked at each other and thought,
1: what non-Christian
0: friends? Because we worked and lived and studied within the Christian Union Fellowship. We hadn't gone outside. That isn't what Christians are supposed to do. That was our mistake. Let's make sure we don't make that at work. And then thirdly, we shouldn't always be looking to maximize our gain. Now in 1 Timothy 5.18, Paul paraphrases Deuteronomy 24.14 and says, the laborer deserves to be paid. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Negotiating for fair pay so that what you get reflects your company and the market for your skills is perfectly reasonable. So market value needs a bit of pinch of salt at times. I fail to see how anybody can be worth millions of pounds a week for, throwing, for kicking
1: a football round. Whatever you do, negotiating for pay is not a charter to be greedy,
0: especially not if it comes at the expense of someone else. And in the workplace, when paid work in this case, we should be ready to support those who are unfairly treated, such as those not getting equal pay or opportunities, where people are being discriminated against, and people who are less able to stand up for themselves. In the end, we should be looking at what uh, we saw in Colossians 3 earlier. Our real reward is not here on earth in terms of money. It comes from Jesus in eternity we should be working to hear him say to us, well done, good and faithful servant,
1: rather than to have a really large bank account that we have to leave behind when he calls us home. Now there's something else about work. If you were asked to describe yourself,
0: what's the first thing you're inclined to say about yourself? For many people,
1: it starts off, I am a IT manager officer. I'm in the army. People identify with their work and value themselves because of their work, their job.
0: But that isn't why we matter, nor is our work a measure of our true worth. Each of us is valuable. We're valuable to God, and He loves us no matter what our job is, or even if we don't have one at all. After all he loved us enough to send his only son into the world to die for us. As Christians, our worth, our true identity, is that God has adopted us into his family. And that doesn't change whether we're employed, whether we're the managing director, whether we're the janitor sweeping the floor, or anything in between. And as part of his family, God has placed us where he wants us to be, including in our workplace, right now. And we should work there as if we were working for Jesus, wholeheartedly and giving our best.
1: We're also there to be Jesus' witnesses in a potentially hostile environment. But let's remember, we're there to witness, yes, we're there to work, not evangelize.
0: We shouldn't be forcing conversations about our faith, but we shouldn't hide it either. Jesus said, let your light shine before men. Let people see you're a Christian, not by necessarily what you say, but the way you live, the
1: way you work, what you do. And how we work, how we relate to those around us, our colleagues, our
0: customers, our suppliers, should be done in a way that reflects our faith. So the core question, in a sense, for us to ask is, what do our work colleagues see when they look at us? They look at our work, at our actions, our speech. Do we stand out as different as we live by Jesus' commands and examples? Or are we blending in and being a chameleon and hiding in the, in the background? And if someone asks about why we do or don't do something, or why we're different, Then as Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16, always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an account of the
1: hope that is in you. Do it, but do it with gentleness and reverence. Whether our work is paid or unpaid, let's all pray that God will give us those opportunities to speak
0: and through his spirit to respond effectively and clearly when people
1: do ask the question. And let us point to Jesus when the question comes. Amen.